Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this edition of the Around the Ladder podcast. Around the Ladder is a production of the University of Tennessee Pride of the Southland Band Alumni Council in conjunction with the University Advancement Office and WUTK, our campus radio station. My name is Ron Bowling. I'm a graduate of the University of Tennessee and, shall I say, a four-year letterman of the Pride of the Southland Band. I'll be your host for this edition of Around the Ladder, and joining me is Brian Hardy, who is Director of Campus-Wide Advancement for the University of Tennessee. Our special guest today, Dr. Michael Stewart. Dr. Stewart is the newly appointed W.J. Julian Professor of Bands, and as of July 1st, 2022, the Director of the Prize Southland Band. Dr. Stewart, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me today. Absolutely. It's great to have you. Uh, first of all, for those listeners who may not know what the phrase means, help us understand what the phrase around the ladder means to the Prize Southland Band. Sure thing. Well, when we say around the ladder, it's a special time for us as an organization. It's that moment where we all get together, we all come around the ladder, physically <laughs> join around the ladder, and it's our chance to go over announcements, talk through things, uh, go over rehearsal procedures talk about what's coming up next, uh, and really get a chance as sort of a band family to come together and address whatever it is we need to address for that rehearsal. Which is kind of what we're about today, Dr. Mm -hmm. Stewart, is talking around the ladder of exactly those hot buttons, those hot points, those things that our listeners want to know and maybe need to know about the Pride of the Southland Band. And so I know you're new to this position as of July 1. I'm understanding is you may have hit the ground running a little before that. Just a little. But you're certainly not new to UT. You've been here since 2007. And so that said, there are likely folks that don't know about your background, I think, which started in Ohio. Tell us about your background and how you got to UT. Yeah, sure thing. Well, yes, this will actually be my 16th year here at the University of Tennessee. And uh, before that, uh, I was actually born in Laramie, Wyoming, believe it of all places. There are, wow. there are people from Wyoming and, uh, <laughs> you know, born there. Uh, but I lived most of my life in West central Ohio, a little town called Sydney, Ohio, uh, a lot of cornfields. That's about it. And then from there, uh, ended up going to Ohio state to get my music education degree, taught public schools for several years, just North of uh, Columbus, Ohio. And then, uh, continued my graduate degrees there as well at Ohio state, uh, to, eventually become a college band director. And thankfully enough, I landed at a place like the University of Tennessee, which is very unusual, your first job coming out of graduate school, but I did. And since then, um, honestly, the intent was I was the third person in line, spend a few years here, go someplace else, move up the ladder in, in the profession. And 16 years later, you know, we, we love Knoxville, we love Tennessee, would never imagine going anywhere else. And I'm very thankful it's landed the way it has. You, you know, uh, you know what my wife calls that? What's that? She calls it the big orange handcuffs. That's pretty so, accurate. Yeah. Yeah. Because we, we got here about about the same yep. time as similar philosophy. Thought we'd be here three to five years. And you fast forward it's 17 years for us now. Yeah. And uh, so I could relate. Yeah. yeah so it's, it's not it's just awesome. about around the ladder. It's maybe up the ladder. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, you were at Ohio State, which I think is supposed to be called the Ohio <laughs> State <laughs> University. You're there for several years. You've been at Tennessee now. You're starting your 16th year. There's a lot of traditions at Ohio State. Mm -hmm. Tell me, what are differences and similarities between those two schools and those two band programs? Sure, sure. Well, I'll start with the similarities. I think one of the similarities that both groups have are just this, the attention to detail. And 
when you're performing in front of over 100,000 people every week and on national TV, I think those are similarities that have helped me in my career. You know, they're really, I will tell you, there's only been one time in my career where the stage has been, I wouldn't say overwhelming, but has definitely set me back. And that was the game uh, at Bristol. I think that was the only time I've actually been in a stadium and said, oh my goodness, this is huge. Uh, but other than that, my time at Ohio State prepared me for here at Tennessee and, and big time football and the microscope that the band is under is, which is, uh, I actually enjoy, I enjoy that part of it. I, I understand what I'm stepping into and the importance of the band in the state of Tennessee and at the University of Tennessee. I think, I think those are things that are very similar. The band plays an important role at Ohio State, plays a huge role here at Tennessee, and, and I appreciate that, and I love being a part of that. The difference is there are several. I, you know, football is big in the Big Ten, and some of my Big Ten friends, colleagues, they may not want to hear this, but, you know, there, there are other things to do on the weekends. And it's, you know, Columbus is a still a big city, but you come down to the South in the SEC and football is 365 days a year. Mm-hmm. And the passion of the fans is, is unmatched. And I think that's mm-hmm. a big difference. And I will say the students here at Tennessee are very different. This is much more of a family environment. Uh, Ohio State is very much a machine. You just they crank you in and crank you out. And I think here at Tennessee, that's one of the first things we noticed when we moved was the family atmosphere. The students are extremely respectful. Everything, yes, sir, no, sir. Uh, just some of the hardest working students that I've ever been around, and, and I'm very appreciative of that. Great. You began your career actually teaching uh, music to students in grades 5 through 12. Uh, so you've worked with younger students, you worked with college students, but how have students over the years changed, and how do you recruit new students to the Prize Healthline Band? Yeah, uh, I definitely the students have changed over the years, and I've even seen a change from the last five to ten years with us students. I, I loved my time teaching fifth grade band, beginner students how to play instruments. I loved middle school, high school. But, you know, the opportunity to, to teach this age was something I just couldn't pass up, and I fell in love with as I continued to teach this age group. And I think with the students, as I've kind of watched them change over the years, they uh, they still have a passion for music, a passion for the band, um, I do think that it's, you know, you have to be, um, you have to really be cautious sort of how, you know, what verbiage we use. We have to be more aware of our surroundings much more than we ever used to be. You know, Dr. Julian, I love him to death. He would come up, you know, oh, Mike, the band's getting soft. And and I would joke with him all the time. I said, Doc, if, if you were still here, you'd be fired by lunchtime. I'd probably, <laughs> probably have a couple of lawsuits. And he would just I've got some back. stories there. Uh, I, and they're usually pretty accurate. And he would just sit back and laugh and, yeah, you're probably right, you know, and, and and so I, I, but I think that's part of the fun is you have to continue to evolve, to evolve with the times and the band has to continue to evolve, not just music, musically or marching. I think just as we communicate with the kids, um, you have to continue to move with the times and, and still find ways. That's the challenge I enjoy about teaching you. Then you still have to find ways to teach them the best you can to get the product that we want on Saturdays. Awesome. Recently you attended an event where you spoke and you talked about the student profile And we just talked about how students have changed, but some of our listeners may be really surprised to hear what the composition of our band is in terms of music students versus non-music majors. Uh, Tell us about that. Yeah, sure. I think that's one of the more surprising facts when we have students come and visit. I think we have a lot of people out there, high school students especially, and their parents that, that believe that the majority of the band are probably music majors, and that's not the case at all. We are floating somewhere around uh, 70, I think we're about 76%, 70, even closer to 
non-music majors. So the majority of our students by far are engineers and pre-med and, you know, nutrition, nursing, you name it. Uh, the one thing I love about the band of, of many things is that we really are a microcosm of the university. We, we are, we have our, our students in every college on this campus, every part of this campus, almost every major, we've had students come through that. And with only about 23% or so being music majors, you know, the rest of the band are, are engineers that are coming in and just want to break from, from their day, from, from math and science and, and want to perform in front of people. So I love that. So if you're talking to a high school student that doesn't think that they can be a part of the band, they've been in their high school band, they, it's something that they really enjoy, your message would be that there's a place for you. Oh, here. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I think you don't have to look very far. Julia Boylan, who's our drum major this year, she's the third year. She's a, a leader of the band, and she's also you know, a, a top-notch engineering student that is one of their uh, greatest students in the College of Engineering. And that's not unusual for us at all. We have some of the best kids on campus in that band. And many of them are coming from places that you just wouldn't expect as far as, as far as the different majors. So it's absolutely possible. Um, I would tell students we are different from their high school experience in, in good ways. It's a great way to meet people, create a social network from day one. But we don't do competitions. Uh, our rehearsals are very efficient. They move quickly. And the fact that we do seven different shows this year um, – each year is, is something that they're certainly not used to. So it's can, a new challenge. Can you talk about that, the seven different shows? Because the very first time I I saw that or heard that, I think I was, I was just blown away that, yeah. you know, a lot of these students, they're not getting the show until Monday. And right. they've got to, you've got to put a, a, a product on the field on Saturday at the level that everyone is accustomed to. Correct. That's unbelievable. Yeah. And with only really three rehearsals, we just rehearsed Monday, Wednesday, Friday, for a couple hours each time. And uh, we do a Tuesday night music rehearsal as well, just to keep moving forward on the music. Uh, so the students don't get completely overwhelmed. But yeah, and our shows are very fan friendly. You know, I taught high school, as I said, so I know what it's like to try to put on that competition show where you basically have three or four months to really get it to where you want it. And in here, you might have three or four rehearsals, and that's it and to get it to the uh, an even better level than than we did the previous week. So uh, the students learn really quick, not only what our level of expectation is, but how to get there efficiently and quickly. And most of the students that we have enjoy it because as soon as Saturday's over, Monday hits, we're on to a new show, something completely different. You know, I looked at other bands across the country and noticed that many of them are incorporating a lot more animation into halftime shows. Uh, what are your plans? You mentioned seven shows upcoming. Can you give us a sneak preview? Yeah. I know you don't want a full disclosure here, but give us a sneak preview of what we can expect in the fall. Sure thing. I think it's funny, the picture shows, because, you know, anybody that's been in the band for a long, in bands in general for a long time, picture shows were huge back in the 50s, 60s, and so on. Mm -hmm. um, that's where a lot of what we do started. Instead of just doing block marching up and down, they started to evolve into picture shows. So this is really not a new concept. And you know, you know, all these college bands are, are realizing that fans love pictures. They love animation. That's what they react to. You know, you put a picture of Tennessee on the on the field like we did last year, and it's all over every website, you know, across the state and across the country. So uh, that's something we want to incorporate. It's not going to be all we do. You know, we're not just going to do stick figures with animation all the time. I don't think that really shows off what our kids can do best. Uh, there will be parts of that that we have throughout the course of the year, for sure. But, you know, this band is a precision drill band, and, and we march well, we play well, and that's one of the things that we want to show off every show. Um, the first show, I will say as well, 
just to kind of go off of some little hints here, they the first show, you know, it's a night game in Neyland, which is always special. Uh, no matter especially that first one, that oh, first wow. one, that first one, it really doesn't even matter who you play. It's, it's just <laughs> the spectacle. And so, you know, that first game, we're looking at doing a show that's uh, going to be sort of nights in Neyland, that type of theme where uh, we're going to incorporate the, uh, you know, bandit lights who have done the lighting systems and UT and the fireworks. I know Danny white loves fireworks. So we're going to be incorporating that as well into our show. Um, doing music that sort of incorporates that, you know, we'll start off with uh, a little bit of Phil Collins, uh, you know, so we can get the drum solo in there as well. Just a, a few hints in there. And, and, you know, the weekend we'll have several uh, different genres of music, but it's going to be music that we feel like the crowd will enjoy. And, and uh, you know, we might have a special appearance by, by one of the starship, you know, food robots as well. We're kind of <laughs> we're trying some different things out. So that, and then, you know, the second show we're looking to do, uh, um, we're actually inviting about 10 different high schools. Outreach is a huge thing to us. So we have about 10 different high schools that are going to be performing on the field with us. We're going to be doing a queen show. And uh, I think that'll be a great experience, not just for them and not just for recruiting. Uh, but, you know, we haven't done a, a classic rock show of any type, really, since I've been here. So that and then the third show, I'll stop after the third one, is uh, we're going to do a karaoke show at the Florida game. And Get the crowd. Hopefully, we're up by about twenty or thirty points against Florida, and get the crowd singing and have a bunch of different songs there that I think they'll they'll really enjoy. So you've been here a while, so you're very much aware of our traditions. But you're you're the leader now. Yep. You're taking over. Uh, how do you honor and respect Tennessee Pride Southland band traditions? but also move forward to incorporate some new things. What are your ideas? What are your plans? I think that's always the challenge. I think, you know, the traditions here at Tennessee are unlike anywhere else um, in the country, really. When you see the videos put out by football or athletics or the university, you know, it's, it's you know, the vol walk where we have one of our pet bands playing. It's the opening of the tee. It's Rocky Top. It's the march to the stadium. I mean, there are so many things that the band is a part of that are ingrained in the traditions, uh, which, which I love about the Pride of Southland Band. And I think part of it is is continuing to respect those traditions and understanding where they fit within the fabric of the band, of the university. Um, you know, I always try to imagine when we're in Neyland Stadium, you know, that's somebody's first game. That's somebody's first time ever seeing the band. Uh, that's also could be somebody's, you know, 1,000th time of seeing the band. And they, the number of people that come up after games and say, hey, Dr. Stewart, the old, you know, I come here more to watch the band than anything else. We get that all the time. And, and that's why I think those traditions are important to maintain and keep. And honestly, after being here 16 years, they're important to me. Those traditions are crucial. You know, I, I love those traditions as well and don't want to see them go. With the new part, you know, all of those traditions, you know, they're most of them were started either by necessity, like the opening of the tee where the team comes running out, or sometimes by accident, you know, like Rocky Top being just part of a, a mm -hmm. country western show 50 years ago. So, you know, I think for us, though, in order to have those traditions happen, we have to continue to be innovative. We have to continue to be an important part of the game day experience and trying some of these things and, and seeing, you know, what works, what engages the audience, what really fits how we do things. And, and always constantly looking forward to what is the next opening of the tee? What's the next Rocky Top out there? So I think when you start to, I think when you start to sort of relax and stop looking and just sticking with the traditions you have, I think that's when the band stops moving forward. And, and that's something I try to avoid every day I'm at work. So. Relate, related to the same thing, uh, we, we talk about the challenge of keeping the marching band relevant and, and engaging in an era where, College football seems to be 
becoming a little bit more like the NFL where they play a lot of canned music. So balancing the traditions of the band and how do you work with the game day production crew? In fact, just walk us through what a week is like from Monday practices, Monday, Wednesday, Friday practices, but also working with the game day production crew to make sure that the can music is played at one time, the band plays another. How does all that work? Yeah, well, I think, first of all, it's a great question. The, I think, first of all, it starts with the relationships. You know, you can't work with these different entities if you don't have a good relationship. I get along great with athletics. Uh, Jimmy Delaney, we've worked together for years, and he he puts together a lot of the game day scripts. Uh, you know, Alicia Longworth, we've, we've worked a lot together to build this relationship. And so part of it is having that those people that you feel comfortable going to and vice versa. So that's kind of been the running joke. You know, my contract didn't start till July one, but once I was named the director in February, literally the next day we started talking about this season. So it starts back in February to plan for August and September. That's the first part. So when you, when you break it down to a week, typically Monday is pretty chaotic because you are putting the last show to rest and you are getting videos from the show and we're getting ready to show those to the kids and continue to grow throughout the year and watch the shows together. But you're also already planning for the next home game, whatever that is. It might be the next week. It might be two weeks away. So Monday we start rehearsals for that show. Tuesday, we typically have a game operations meeting with athletics, with the Jumbotron, everybody that is involved in the game day process. We all will get together on Tuesday afternoons and same thing, recap last week, look forward at least one week ahead, if not further, uh, to, to plan ahead. And then what typically happens, we go through the week, we do our normal rehearsals, get the show ready, then athletics will produce a game script. And starting about 90 minutes before kickoff, all the way through the game, past the end, uh, the end of the game, there's a script that we get that has literally every second of the game planned out. Wow. Where timeouts are, where the band fits, where they're going to incorporate the DJ, you know, Sterl. And I will say, you know, Sterl has been a great supporter of the band. I know there's a lot of uh, concern about the DJ, the band. Um, and I think that's something that every single college, especially Division One, all of us are aware of it and are, are, are trying to find the band's sort of niche in the game day experience. I will say we've got such a great rapport with athletics. They want to include us as much as possible into the game day experience. And that's something that I, I work daily to hold on to. On the band side of that, we have to maintain relevance. And I'm not just talking about UT, all the college bands across the country. We have to maintain relevance. That means we have to play songs that the fans are going to enjoy, that the students are going to enjoy. Um, you know, we have to be engaging in the crowd. Otherwise, it's too simple for a DJ just to hit the play button and, and we've been replaced. So we have to maintain that relevance. And, and uh, you know, I think we have to play great music, but play it well, uh, time in and time out. Now, it's a little harder on offense these days with Coach Heifel. He's awesome. He's been a supporter of the group. But when you're snapping the ball every eight seconds, it's hard to, to blow four whistles and get a song out. So. Can you talk more about that? Because I think it's, that's fascinating. It's yeah. something that people don't really think about. But when you're talking about the fastest offense in the country. Yeah coming in and, um, you know, our previous coaching staff ran a more traditional offense. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about the challenges from a technical perspective of, of getting that, that yeah. little blurb in and, and how you or the drum major are, are managing that. Yeah, and I think that's another thing, going back to a previous question, that makes us different than, say, Big Ten bands. In the Big Ten, 
it's the staff, the conductors, the directors that direct the band. Well, here it's a college junior, you know, surrounded by 375 of her peers, <laughs> 100,000 fans, national TV. She's got, Julia has the hardest job, you know, in, in the country, I would argue. Um, and, and it's on their shoulders. Her and, and for anybody who's not familiar with our system, Julia, the drum major and the assistant drum major are in front of the band. The assistant drum major, it's it's their job to call up the music, the songs. So we have about 60 songs in our folder, and uh, he will hold up a, a, a sign. We actually have been using a soccer, one of those soccer light-up signs, and uh, he'll he'll put the numbers. One is for a short tune, one is for a long tune when there's a timeout, and it's up to Julia to make sure that as soon as the whistle blows, they do a quick scan of the field to make sure there are no injuries, make sure there are no flags, and then she has to blow the whistles. And then if you watch closely, you'll see the assistant drum major. She has to focus on the band. That's her job is the band. The assistant drum major is watching the field. And so they work out a communication signal during the game where he'll tap her leg twice to say, hey, we're coming up on the snap. Get ready. And then if he just keeps hitting the back of her leg, that means shut it down. Find the next place to stop. Uh, so that way we don't we don't get a flag. The SEC officials are terrific. Usually we'll talk to them before the game, or they might come to us. They love the band, believe it or not. Uh, you know we get a lot of uh, a lot of great responses from the refs. The only time we've ever had problem are when we do non conference games and we bring in refs from different conferences that aren't used to how we do things in the SEC. And uh, they'll come up, and, and <laughs> there was a game a couple years ago where I actually started yelling at the ref as well. Like, Don't you do your job. We got this. Don't worry about the band. You know, you just stop calling holding on us, and we'll be okay. So, Well, we've got a great band, and I've always been, obviously, pro prior to the Southland band versus uh, playing music over the intercom. But last year at a game when, when I saw the band members rocking out to something that was played by the DJ, I thought, okay, this is going to be all right. <laughs> it's going to be fine. So you're – you're, the band is part of the school of music, yeah. but it's very much a part of the athletic department. Very much Talk so. about how you relate regularly to members of the athletic department staff and what that looks like and how you both uh, honor your commitment to the school of music, but also your commitment to athletics. Sure, sure. Well, like I said, the school of music is, you know, even though we are a microcosm of the university, the school of music is where our home base is. That's our rehearsal room. Uh, that's, uh, you know, where the, the students do get a credit hour for doing marching band and the humanities. So that's where that credit hour comes from is it's a music ensemble course. Uh, so that's about where the, the length of it ends. I mean, we, Again, with only 20-some-odd percent of our students being music majors, um, you know, we'll, ha we'll see those students because we actually teach courses throughout the day. I'm a, I'm a music education professor beyond the band director part of it. So I'll see these students throughout the course of the day, the music education students. And then we all get together for marching band and, and do our thing. So, you know, for us, I think that portion of it where we have the facility, we have the support of the School of Music, a lot of times we'll have our music faculty come out and interact with our students maybe help them do, you know, do lessons, do master classes to help them become better players. Uh, but then, you know, also we have this other side where we quite often, you know, report to the chancellor or the provost or, you know, the athletic department. Uh, and so it's this constant sort of, you know, sort of balancing act where uh, depending on the situation, we may need to to go to the school of music and Jeff Pappas, who's the director of the school of music, or we may need to go talk to Chancellor Plowman about, you know, a bigger picture. You know, we've got several huge projects coming up, uh, and I'm going to meet with Chancellor Plowman soon to talk about those, which will affect the entire band and the entire university in one way or another. So I understand there is, I understand we're going international here. Yes. 
and there's some news that the band has made plans to go to uh, London, which kind of seems to me, in addition to attending another event in Middle Tennessee you did recently where you were reaching out to the community, that, that we're taking the band outside of Knoxville. So tell us about your plans there, specifically the London trip, and then your other plans to to really take the band out to different places in Tennessee sure, sure and thing. beyond. Yeah, so I think with London specifically, you know, I'm just a firm believer in, in the band, but I'm a firm believer in our students. And I think what they do needs to be shown internationally. You know, I think a lot of 100,000 fans see it every Saturday. But what we need to do is we need to get the word out of how amazing this band and these kids are. And we've done the inaugural parade many, many times, and that's great. And we're going to continue to apply for those as they come up throughout the next few years. But on those off years, every two years, I said, we need to do something to get this band out and to let the world know about this band. But also to give our kids, maybe even more importantly, give our kids the opportunity to see other cultures, other people, other places, and go through the process of international travel and, and all the, the stuff that comes with that. So, uh, you know, it was on my radar even before I was hired to do this position. we got to get this band out and, and in front of people. And London, for some reason, was always in the back of my head. I've never been there before. I've been to Europe. Um, I've been to Asia many times. But London, I've never been there before. And I thought, okay, if we're going to do this this first year, you know, we want to make a splash, let's do a trip that is quote unquote easy, you know, and into a culture that is more familiar with our students, um, a, a language for the most part that is the same as ours. Uh, and London just jumped right out. And then we met a couple of folks um, at our clinic in Midwest. Uh, and um, it just kind of fell right into place. And they are band people. And it's going to be an opportunity for our band to do combined performances with uh, several bands uh, from the UK as well. And it'll be a chance for us to, you know, we'll have a few opportunities. We're going to do a parade um, in Hampton Court, which is where King Henry VIII's castle is. We'll do a quick parade and performance and sort of a joint sort of battle of the drums type thing there with the other bands that are involved. We're going to perform in front of Trafalgar Square, which is sort of their, um, you know, main hub of London. Uh, we'll do a standstill concert for about an hour there in front of um, the lunch crowd, which if you've ever been to London, it's, it's pretty chaotic during that time. Uh, and then we're also going to do a uh, tattoo, a London tattoo, where we will, uh, it's within their conference center there, and we will combine with other bands to do joint performances with them. And and uh, and then the rest of the time, they're going to have an opportunity to go travel. We'll go to Stonehenge and and uh, Windsor Castle, and we'll we'll watch the changing of the guards at Buckingham Palace and, and give them a chance to just be, be tourists. Any chance we might see you at a Tennessee Titans game? Uh, you know, we've had, that's the other part of this. So one of the things that I would like to do moving forward more locally is to get the band out more into the state of Tennessee. And whether that's concerts, whether it's Titans games, uh, we're looking at several different opportunities to start bringing the band a little bit more. Uh, it's hard to get out west, but that's something we want to do for sure. And, and you know, Nashville for our students is, is a simple trip over and back. Something other than just the Vandy trip every two years. We'd love to – We've I've talked to Brian on a, about a couple of different ideas that we're having that I think – would be really great opportunities for the mid state and for our kids. And 
as well as Chattanooga and even up in the Tri-Cities. I mean, I attend the Tennessee Titans games regularly, and one of the highlights every year is the Tennessee State Band coming. And so I can envision being real excited about the Pride of the Southland Band being there for our halftime. So keep that on your radar screen, Dr. Stewart. We'd like that. So uh, you're new to this position, but obviously you have a staff that supports you. Tell us about your staff how you work together, what their roles are. Yeah, that's that's crucial to our success. You know, uh, Dr. Fuller-Lyon, uh, he is an alum of UT and was the drum major back in the 90s with UT, so he understands the the history, the, the traditions of this band. Uh, but he's also a great music educator, and he's the assistant director with the marching band. It'll be the two of us doing that. We also hired this year Dr. John Zastapil, who is the director of wind studies, he will be conducting our top wind group. We uh, we have three concert bands that meet year-round as well. And so Dr. Zastapil will be working with that top wind ensemble group. Many of the kids in the Pride are also in those groups. So, um, you know, he'll be doing that and overseeing the band area from, from the music standpoint, the school of music. So it wouldn't be unusual to see him out there, and it's another person to bounce ideas off of. And then, of course, uh, Jennifer Wolfenbarger. Many of the students know her name by heart. She is our office assistant there with the band uh, department. AKA band mother. Band mother. <laughs> yes, yes. The, the students affectionately call her J-dubs. Um, she, uh, she is the one that allows us to teach. You know, she's the one behind the scenes taking care of all the logistics. If, if the students have a question, if we have a question about anything, parking, money, anything at all, she's usually the first point of contact. So um, it's Jennifer's at the games on Saturdays too. It's not unusual to see her running around like a, a chicken with her head cut off as well. So um, that's, you know, those, it, without the staff, you know, we have a guard instructor, a majorette, percussion. Those people help us make uh, make this whole thing run. So I see people who are helping you who are wearing black suits, and I think they're referred to as black suits. Tell us about the role of the black suit. What do they do? Yeah, yeah. We they often get confused with Secret Service agents, and, and <laughs> you know they we have uh, several people in those black suits other than ourselves. Um, we have about four or five, depending on the year, graduate students. These are students within the school of music that are doing master's degrees in something, either performance, conducting. Um, so you'll see about four of them in those black suits, and then the black suits, as we call them. Uh, those are all undergrad students. Those are students that have already marched in the band for several years, usually seniors. Um, they've probably served in leadership positions in the band uh, one way or another over the years. And now they are still very much a part of the band, but they help us clean drill. They help us set uh, set the drill on the field during the week. They help us with music rehearsals. A lot of times they help us with communication. With the band being as big as it is, we're sneaking up on that 375 number right now. You know, we need those people to help give the signals, you know, while we're doing the games and while we're playing and while we're on bus trips. And You know, when you're marching into hostile territory, it's good to have a few people that, that look a little intimidating on the sides of the band to help us keep the students safe. So as you described that mm-hmm. and in and, and remembering what the roots of this band are, which was a military, uh, military roots coming out of the military department back in the 1800s, your structure is very much a military structure. Yeah. So yeah. you're the you're the general, but then you've got uh, you've got your lieutenants and your yeah. your your folks in the field, and it it goes all the way down to squad leaders, right? Correct, correct. And I think that's one of the things that makes this band so special is that you know we do have a hierarchy with the directors, you know, grad students, black suits, drum major, so on down to the the squad leaders who 
you know, each section, the piccolos will have four or five squad leaders. The trombones will have about four squad leaders. Trumpets, they all have a set leadership that there's a whole process for that with how they're determined. And they've, they've gone through a vetting system to become those leaders. And then, uh, and then of course you have the marchers themselves. So, you know, there is sort of that hierarchy within the band, but I think the beauty of the pride, and this is something that's been in the band since the days of, of Dr. Julian is that it doesn't just depend on one person. You know, if I were to go down, the band is still going to be there opening the tea on Saturday. You know, if the drum major goes down or has COVID or whatever the situation is, we have a system in place to where, you know, the next person will step up and we're ready to go. And it's like that from the top all the way down through the, the, the freshman members. So that's one of the beauties about what we do. And, and whenever I go talk to different organizations and companies, that's one of the things I really stress about our system is that it is a system. It's not dependent on just one person. And if you have a system that's dependent on one person, that's not a system at all. Um, and that's one of the great things about this band. And the students know that, that, that they're all, you have to always be prepared uh, to go in and fill that role, whatever that is. On the subject of leadership, you guys seem to have really done a really good job of weathering the storm of COVID. Yeah. So what were the keys to your success there? Uh, yeah. It's great to be that that's in the rear view mirror, but what, uh, yeah, how'd you come out on top? Yeah, I think communication. You know, the, the 2020 season actually was easy, and that's when COVID hit. But for us, we weren't allowed on the field. There were all kinds of protocols in place. So we just played in the stands. We were essentially just a pep band, which didn't make any of us happy. That was just, it is what it is. Last year was actually more of a challenge. Mm -hmm. That would, I would say in all of my years of teaching, 2021 was probably the most difficult because there, and any teacher will tell you this, English, math, middle school, high school, elementary, you never knew who was going to be in your classroom that day. And, mm -hmm. and many Friday nights, I just didn't sleep because I knew that I would get a call on Saturday morning of a kid, their roommate was contact traced or, oh, wow. or, Hey, you know what? I've got this cough and this fever. I don't know what it is. And of course our first response was just stay home. So I think, you know, and that happened. The pit game was the epicenter. When we got to that pit game throughout the week, I mean, we probably had about 30 kids go down uh, one way or another. And it was, uh, and, and actually at the game, you know, while we were at the game in the second quarter, we had two piccolo players come down to us and they said, Hey, Dr. Stewart, we just got a note from our roommate. who's not in band. She's positive. And right away, you know, before we even get to halftime, we had to tell these two girls get out, you know, hard get, to play you know, stars and stripes without a piccolo boy. And, and, you know, <laughs> and, 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 but it was funny. The communication was crucial because, um, they, the, the students did a tremendous job of, Hey, Dr. Stewart, I got a quarantine or, Hey, I had this, I have this test coming up, which means stay home until you get the results. They were tremendous with that communication. But we, we also, we kind of, with that, we did our own contact tracing. So the problem that we had was, you know, all these kids room together, especially the upperclassmen. So one baritone player would get COVID. Well, their three other roommates got COVID. And then that one of those baritones player, players was, was dating a piccolo player. Well, that piccolo player lives with three other piccolo players. So now the piccolos have it. It's just, it kind of went from house to house to house. And eventually after Pitt, we just told the kids, stop dating, stop going out, just stay <laughs> home all the time. Don't drink after each other. Exactly. Seriously, that was some of the conversation. So, oh, but, that's great. Well, congratulations on coming out uh, to the general public unscathed. Yes, yes. We made it through. And, and I think, you know, we learned a lot about, about each other during that process. Mm -hmm. um, 
we had students that were forced to step up that never in a million years, I think I would have imagined and as especially the freshmen um, that, Hey, you know what? This squad leader's out. You got to jump in on a Friday and you've got about three run throughs to learn this show. And you know, for, for those that aren't familiar with the band, this is something that I, I learned in my time is that there are certain um, performances or even pregame or circle drill that are set for a particular number uh, on the, on the field. So yeah. a lot of times people will ask, well, what, what are those 75 kids that are yeah. still in the stands? And I have to explain to them, well, that's, that's because this particular show mm-hmm. is, is set for a, a certain number, but to think that on a Friday afternoon, a kid that has been a shadow yeah. all, the whole time uh, at at three o'clock in the yeah. afternoon on Friday is told you're in yeah. and they have to perform or even worse on a Saturday, Saturday. morning. Yeah. And I think you even had some graduate students or some upperclassmen that you had to, had to say, Hey, um, you know, you're, you're up yep. because we got to fill that spot. Yeah. Those black suits that we talked about, they, several Saturdays, I mean, and they would sit there and they'd be studying charts and looking at the charts and the drill and, and go in, and there were a couple of kids. I said, "Just don't even play a note. Just, just march this spot. Don't mess that up because you know if you mess up the charts, that means you're out on an island. If you miss a note, probably they won't hear. So, for those individuals, that's the only time we do that. I just said, "Hey, focus on the drill. Get out there and do your best, so we don't have holes all over." And and yeah, the alternate system. We do get questions a lot about who, what are those groups of students that are that are standing there? And why aren't they marching? Well. You know, we do, part of it is because we do have spots, you know, circle drill, pregame, that's a set number. There's only, we literally could not put another student in our pregame show. There's just no more room. We're out of field at this point. So that's kind of, and circle drill is the same way. That one's based more on mathematics. And how many is pregame? Pregame right now is up to 252. Okay. Um, on there, that's wins, percussion, uh, and then we have guard and majorettes on top of that. So uh, we have those numbers set, but then, you know, for all the other shows, we do still carry a, a group of about 30-ish alternates on the side. And, you know, the, the the comparison that I usually use with that is, you know, you can only have one quarterback on the field. You know, even Peyton Manning had to sit for a little while at the beginning. And, you know, as much as I would love all those students to march, the ironic thing about it is I feel like it actually makes the band better. You know, when there's that level of competition – to, to be a student who has earned a regular spot, but knowing that if you don't have your stuff together or you make a mistake or you're not prepared for rehearsal, you can get pulled at any moment. And we're going to take one of those students and put them in your position, and then it's their spot to lose. Word of warning. Yeah. Don't choose a French horn player to take the place of a trumpet in circle drill. His name was Kelly. He marched beside me. Yep. And during the flower part of circle drill, he looked like a bee buzzing around in the middle, and Dr. Julian thought it was me. When the recordings came out, yeah. and it wasn't, but it was still not a pretty experience. Word of warning. Good, <laughs> Be careful with subs on the circle drill. <laughs> that, that, that's a tricky one. That, and, boy, and with circle drill, if you put somebody in there that doesn't know their spot, I oh. mean, you you can do some serious uh, bodily harm in mm-hmm. those situations. Yeah, you can come out with a bloody lip if yep. you're a trumpet player. That's mm-hmm. true. So uh, you told us about your staff, but uh, on a personal note, I understand you're married to a trumpet player. I am. And your daughter, Rachel, yep. may be joining a freshman in the Pride this fall. Yeah. How's this going to work? We're going to find out. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, I think, you know, it's it's funny. Uh, we've grown up in a band family. Like, like you said, my wife played trumpet. She was in the Ohio State Band. We met in high school in the band, and we've been together ever since. And, and so I've, I'm very fortunate to have a family that understands mm-hmm. that, 
you know, August hits, we'll see in December, you know, they, they understand that. And, and, uh, you know, I think for me personally, it's, it's always that challenge of as soon as I get home, that's their time. I, I, you know, I don't, until everybody goes to bed, I might break out the laptop after that, but I try to keep that time pretty sacred to, to my family as much as possible. But yeah, having a, having a band family, uh, my wife gets it. She, like I said, she was a trumpet player in the Ohio state band. And then Rachel, uh, my son played trumpet. He was at ETSU for a couple of years and, uh, and played in their band. And then, uh, yeah, Rachel's going to be a freshman clarinetist this year. She probably doesn't want me to say this, you know, on radio. And, uh, but I think they've figured it out already. Uh, and then I have another daughter, um, who's a trombone player at Bearden and our son, Eli, um, who we adopted from China. He's probably going to be a trumpet player. So Rachel, will see. I think I think she's excited. I know I am. I've never been able to teach my students and from or my my own children as students, and I'm excited to have her in there. And then uh, my other daughter Emily, like I said, she's a a junior at Bearden. Her boyfriend. This might be the trickier relationship. Her boyfriend is a freshman trombone music ed major in the band as well. So I mean, this is an opportunity to set the record straight. That, <laughs> <laughs> be, you know, my daughter might be the easier relationship out of, out of all this. So uh, yeah, I'm well, excited. Football season's almost here. Yep. So what's the upcoming schedule? When do students arrive? Is it freshman first? How does it work? First football game is Thursday night, September yeah, first. First, yep. I think. Yep. So when do we get started with this? I'm excited. Yeah, well, we're already off and rolling as far as the preparations. That's been going for months. We actually will see the students. We'll do a, a few leadership meetings with our graduate students in early August. Uh, the big date is August 10th. Once August 10th hits, that's when our color guard, majorettes, our drum line will come in and all of our leadership team. So we'll spend about two days working specifically with our leadership, how to communicate, how to teach, just trying to set up the year for a successful year with our leadership team. And then two days later, on the 12th of August, all of the other freshmen will come in. They get two days with our squad leaders. So it's just kind of one-on-one, learning the terminology, just learning how we operate and the discipline of the band, getting a couple days uh, with just the squad leaders. And then on uh, Sunday, the 14th, that's when the rest of the returning members, sophomores through seniors, they will come in. Uh, at that point, we have the full band, and we are off and running. We start pregame up usually on Monday evening, and um, we're starting to learn the first halftime show. We might even dip a little bit into the second halftime show. We're learning music uh, for the stands uh, inside. And we've replaced, you know, for the upcoming year, um, the students and the alumni note as our white folder. The white folder is what we use for uh, in the stands playing. Mm-hmm. In between plays, timeouts, things like that. We've replaced about half of that folder. So we've got a bunch of new tunes that are going to be coming out for the fall, Um, different genres, uh, you know, and we'll continue over as the years progress. We'll continue to move those in and out as we go. You think Brian and I will recognize any of the new music? It's hard to say. It's hard. You know, I grew I'm up a pretty a, hip guy. Yeah. <laughs> I grew up, I, I, I grew up just as a word of warning. I grew up as a fan of nineties hip hop R and B. So there may be uh, a few things in there that, that, that my generation, I include you all in that. Absolutely. Maybe, so. so, um, as we sit here and we are recording this, mm-hmm. uh, in, in, in mid July, um, and this will air, uh, uh, next month. But are the students, your incoming students, have they already gotten the music? Have you already told them? Or are they reviewing charts at this point? Or does everything start fresh for them when they hit campus in August? Right. For the freshmen, they've received, the only thing they've received so far is their pregame music. I mean, technically everybody has. But 
the freshmen specific specifically, they've received their pregame music and they have been charged to just memorize it. Um, the, the less they have to think about music, especially with our pregame show, it's very intricate. There are forms where we just float everybody down the field. Those are easy. It's the transition moves between going from the interlocking UT to the power T going from the USA formation to the T that opens up for the team. Those transitions are really, really challenging. So the less you have to think about the music and you can focus more on what's going on around you, uh, gives you a much higher likelihood of survival in some cases. Um, but you know, other than that, they've received nothing else. So okay. all they have at this point is pregame music. And then once they check in on August 10th, the 12th or the 14th, they'll be handed two folders, one that'll have halftime music and one that'll have all the stand music. And at that point, many of the band members are just sight reading for the first time. So as you've described pregame, I guess we could go ahead and put to bed the uh, the wild rumor that uh, pregame is being completely re- reworked, right? I Yeah, I love my job so far. And, uh, you know, I tell people whenever we do these visits all over the state, I'm like, listen, the tea the is still going to open. We are still playing Rocky Top. That's, that's not going to change. So. I think uh, we call that a sacred cow. Very much. <laughs> yes. Very much so. And I'm so, okay. so it's game day. Mm-hmm. Thursday, September 1st, 7.30 p.m. What's the schedule for game day? Yeah, I think a lot of people, you know, that's one of the things we're doing this year is trying to open up the curtain a little bit to the band life. So you're going to see a much more, much more of a presence with our social media. We've got a social media team of students that are going to be doing a lot more here awesome. coming up. and. And just sort of opening up what we do, because I think a lot of fans, they see the Saturday game, but they don't know about all the work that goes into that, um, unless you've marched with the band. So they don't know that these students are rehearsing Monday through Friday. They don't understand that these students are also full-time students, that many of which have jobs that they're going to, you know, in between classes. So, um, you know, having them sort of see what we do and getting that word out is going to be crucial. And on a game day for us, ideally, game day should be cruise control. That's our goal. So we usually show up um, several hours early. So the earliest we would be, if you've got a 12 o'clock kickoff, we typically have the band show up about 7.30 in the morning is what our day would start. For a 7, 7.30 kickoff, we'll probably have the students show up around 1, somewhere around there. And uh, typically our rehearsals, our game day rehearsals start with just basically a run-through of the shows, pregame and halftime. It's it's not very much like the football team. It's not a heavy workout. It's just – Let's get this back under our feet. Let's get our brains sort of engaged in what the day is going to be. But it's going to be a long day. So we don't want to wear them out first thing in the morning. Um, I always tell Jennifer, you know, when we do those noon kickoffs, just take the phone off the off the ringer. Because, you know, we usually will do, not intentionally, completely, we'll do our warm-ups, you know, facing the frat houses and, and Fiji <laughs> Island. So usually, you know, 7.30 on a Saturday morning, the phone is ringing off the hook from angry uh, frat boys. So, uh, yeah, we just don't answer the phone at that point. Uh, but you know, it, and, and that's another part of that. So usually even though our call time might be seven thirty in the morning, it's not unusual for the students to get there seven, six thirty, even, uh, to go through anything that they need to go through to make sure their uniforms are, are ready to go. That's not unusual for our students at all. They know that seven thirty in the morning doesn't mean seven thirty in the morning. It, it means you're ready to go well before that. And so we do the rehearsal, and then typically at that point, we'll give them a chance to either change or maybe grab a bite to eat because it is a long day. And then we will take half the band, not half the band, we'll take the, the white pet band, which is about 100 students, 50 students, I'm sorry, 50 students in the white pet band will go do the vol walk for the football team. 
Uh, the Orange Pet Band, which is another 50 students, they might do another event on campus, whether it's a chancellor's event or an alumni event. It's not unusual for, so when you see those breakoff groups, you know, like the, like at the Vol Walk, that's our white pet band that does that. Um, those two bands, by the way, the orange and white pet band, that's the band that travels to the away games when we don't take the full group. So it's kind of a built-in system there. Uh, and then after, after uh, they all come back to the band room, we have a brief meeting in the band room, make sure everybody knows where they're supposed to be, when they're supposed to be. And then at that point, uh, we'll dismiss the band out to Pathead Summit Way, and uh, we'll go ahead and and uh, do the march to the stadium. You do that, you've got you know a 15 minute pregame and then a four hour football game. So it's a long day for these kids, and and uh, we try to train them to to be prepared for the length of that day. So you, so for a seven o'clock kick, you said be there about one one thirty, yep. um, four hours. My math is that's a 10-hour day, easy, for, least, for, yeah. for the students. And that's yeah. just when they get back. Then right. you've got to put instruments away and all that kind of good stuff. So yeah. Yeah. I think that's something that that uh, the general fan doesn't understand or doesn't appreciate is how much time and effort goes into this, not just rehearsal, but Correct. on a game day. Correct. And it's I mean, the thing we always tell people, we're usually the first ones in and the last ones out, yeah. you know, um, on any game day. So, yeah. So – You've been here 15 years. You're going on year 16. What are two or three of those aha moments in your role as assistant director uh, that you might want to tell our listeners about? Yeah, I think, you know, for me, I think personally, it was the first time that we did the march to the stadium and, you know, doing the salute to the hill down there at the, by uh, alumni memorial building where the majorettes do their performance, you know, to me, and just to be able to stop for a split second while they're performing and just see just this sea of orange. Um, and, and there've been several vol walks that have been like that too, where you just kind of have to, you have to remind yourself and we remind the students, you know, don't get focused on it, but try to enjoy the moment. You know, my first pregame show, um, I'll never forget that. One of the things that actually jumped out quick story about that, my first pregame show, you know, we got, we got through pregame, everything is down to the second uh, and then all of a sudden, the entire pregame show just stops. And I was looking at the time Gary Souza was there, and I said, what's what's going on? Why is everything, what's the deal? This isn't right. Uh, and it was the pregame prayer, which in the Big Ten and the North in general, that just does not happen uh, to great extents. <laughs> this and is so, Knoxville. <laughs> and so I'll never forget. We sat there, and it got dead quiet, and they started. He's like, nothing, just bow. And I'm like, bow. Okay, and then you hear that they start the prayer. And it's, I thought, okay, this, you know, a little five, 10 second prayer. And it was, you know, let's bless the vendors, the, you know, <laughs> everybody and their uncle was being blessed that day. They it would was, take up a collection that day. <laughs> it was, it was, it blew my mind on many levels. I still remember that. And, uh, you know, and just, you know, the, the family atmosphere of UT is, is something that I've just absolutely fallen in love with. It's, is walking into the stadium still 16 years later and, and knowing the ushers that help us out, you know, the two ushers down at the front of the band, they are a part of our band family too. Mm. And they watch these kids and, and watch our stuff. And, and you know, the, the police escorts that we get, I mean, all of the people that you see over the course of a game day, um, th- that's one of the best parts about this and, and letting them be a part of the band and seeing what our kids do, you know, and, and the relationships between our students and those people, uh, that's, that's a really important part of what we do. So, so let me ask you a question. I, I, I remember this vividly. Pat Summit one time said somebody was talking about her and 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 how great she was and rightfully so, 
And she stopped the interviewer and she said, you know what? She said, I don't have the toughest jo- uh, coaching job on campus. She said, that belongs to the band director. <laughs> do, 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 you, do, you, uh, do you think she was right? You know, I, I love what I do. I mean, we've got mm-hmm. the best students on this campus. The answer is uh, she and, was right. She was oh, always right. Summit. She's always right. You know, it's, it's, we've got the best kids on this campus, I'm convinced. And, you know, the great thing about Pat, I've told this story before, and Lauren Golston, who works at the university now, um, she, uh, now Rucker, uh, you know, she was playing piccolo in the band, and we were doing a, a, a pep rally down at the stadium for Welcome Week. And we had just two single-file lines. And Coach Summit was coming to speak to the entire freshman class. Well, Coach Summit tried to cut through the piccolo section. And, and Lauren, you know, no more than maybe 5'2", five, 5'3", five, she put her arm out and stopped Pat and said, sorry, you can't cut through the band. <laughs> and, and, oh. and so, see, and Coach Summit was great. You're absolutely right. I'm so sorry. She went around the band and, and went over and did her speech. But after that, Lauren came over. I watched the whole thing from a distance go down. And part of me was just to see what Lauren would do. And uh, she did the right thing. And afterwards, Lauren comes up and she's just, I mean, she's shaking physically and with her voice. And <laughs> Dr. Stewart, did I do the right thing? I, I don't know. You know, I just told Pat Summit to go around the band. <laughs> like, no, you did the right thing, Lauren. Great work. Uh, but she was always so special to the band family. She she supported us. Uh, she would come back during basketball tournaments and thank the band, win or lose. Um, she was a class act, of course, and, and was a huge supporter of what we do. That's great. Mm-hmm. Well, to kind of put a bow on this today, thank you so much. And once again, congratulations on thank your you. new position. Thank you. Uh, Brian, I think we have a guy that has a real passion for the Pride of Southland Band, and I think we have the right guy at the helm. So uh, thanks for joining us here. Uh, any closing comments that you would want to pass on to our listeners? Sure. I just want to thank everybody for their continued support. I think through this whole process, it's been humbling. The alumni support has been outstanding. Um, general people at the grocery store and parking lots, of the, the, the support has been amazing. I just I hope I can do uh, the band justice as, as its next leader and uh, can't, I just can't wait to get out there uh, on September 1st. We're ready, we'll be ready to go. We look forward to the days ahead. Ladies and gentlemen, that's it for this edition of Around the Ladder. Uh, Dr. Stewart, thank you so much again for joining us and for the opportunity to learn more about you personally and your insights and your plans for the Pride. Uh, special thanks also to Brian Hardy, uh, our producer Jackson Williams, and Benny Smith, general manager of WUTK radio station and the Pride of the Southland Band Alumni Council. Uh, Hope you enjoyed this edition of Around the Ladder and that you'll stay tuned for more editions in the future. Thanks for listening in, and we look forward to you joining us again soon. We'll be Around the Ladder. (laughs) 